Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. This episode will be for you if you want to understand the process of getting investment to grow your health-related business. If you want to understand the future of training and how Verti is incorporating artificial intelligence and simulated learning into healthcare and the importance of messaging and communicating the values, the benefits and the technical side of your organization, your business, your skills, your expertise. This is another masterclass for you guys. You can't see me talking. I'm talking very animatedly. Um, I'm using my arms. I've got a big smile on my face. Absolutely loved it. You're going to love this one. Honestly, enjoy. If you like what you hear, please give this podcast a five-star rating and review. Share it. Tell your friends make sure you download it onto your phone. This is one you're going to come back to. And I really appreciate the detail Alex goes into when I ask him about angel investment. I'm so lucky and so fortunate to be able to do what I do. And I just really appreciate it when amazing guests like Alex come on and just just share, nothing's off limits, just share, 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 share away. I loved it. You're going to love it. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Really great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Connect, And um, yeah, look forward to our conversation. Definitely. Could you introduce our listeners to your kind of career journey a little bit and what led you to setting up Verti? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I'll, I'll try and make it as entertaining as possible. <laughs> I'm very weird. So, so yeah, my, my name's Alex Young. My, my background is in the NHS. So I trained as a doctor and then specialised in trauma and orthopaedic surgery. But I'm also a massive geek, uh, both in terms of technology and learning. Uh, so when I was a med student, I was at Bristol Medical School. I uh, founded a company that did sort of in-person teaching and training for for doctors and nurses and also some in-person conferences for things like pharmaceutical companies and and some bigger organizations. I guess really at the time because I was quite good at organizing things um, and wanted to uh, make a bit of sort of cash on the side uh, during my sort of medical school studies. So um, without knowing anything about business, that, that company kind of got picked up and taken over by a bigger 
events company. And then I suppose during that period of med school, in order to promote some of those events, I, I taught myself some pretty awful coding skills, actually looking back on it, but uh, a, a reasonably decent um, level of coding to be able to build websites and, and promote those events. And on the back of that, again, with a strong interest in, I suppose, teaching and training, created a, an online exam preparation company for doctors and nurses, which I sort of did as a bit of a caricature, I guess, of, of uh, sort of an entrepreneur. So I was coming back from my night shifts, coding, learning business skills from books and podcasts uh, like this one, and then sort of built this company as the only employee. And that got to a turnover base of a quite a substantial amount. So I think we did sort of over six figures in the first year, and then that sort of grew and grew and grew. And then really, I guess, with that sort of almost side hustle of, of some of these businesses around my clinical practice, I had a decision to make probably around about three years ago now. So when I was almost towards the end of my clinical training, which was, do I want to go full time on business? Uh, and, and at that time, I had a couple of different ideas floating around my head of what I would like to do, or, or do I sort of stay in healthcare and do sort of a couple of days a week or something like that? And I think my mindset was very much how can I challenge myself? How can I make as big an impact as possible? So uh, made quite a quite a big decision about three years ago to uh, no longer practice clinically and go full time and, and ended up founding a company called Verti, which I'm, I'm now kind of founder CEO of, which takes up pretty much 99% of my time and life. <laughs> and, and that's really focused again on how to empower the workforce with, with better training and improving them for, for sort of infrequent but hazardous environments using some deep technology. Do you ever have time to look back at your decision and do you ever question, was it the right decision? Yeah, great, great question. So it's really interesting. I think things have moved, been moving sort of so quickly. It, it is often difficult to, to reflect and look back at things, but I, I try and do so as much as possible. So I'm quite sort of reflective in, in everything we do in a uh, kind of work capacity. And specifically around that, I think certainly looking back, one of the big challenges was just sort of the unknown aspects of things. So I've been relatively fortunate in that uh, Vertis have done very well and we've been through a couple of funding rounds and, and we're revenue generating. But at the time, I was sort of leaving quite a secure job that I really enjoyed, really taking a chance to do something that, that I thought might be more impactful. So I think, you know, looking back on things, things that I miss from practicing are, are certainly, I think number one is is the team that you work with. I think in healthcare, it's, you know, I think that there's that sort of almost like it's almost a bit like being in the, in the trenches in a sort of war film or something like that. You're you're sort of fighting on so many fronts and you build up a really good bond with the people you work with from nursing, physiotherapy, doctor sides as well and, and actually meeting patients. So I, I think that's one thing that you can never really replicate outside of healthcare. And, and for what I was doing in orthopedic surgery, obviously the practical aspects of being able to sort of diagnose someone with a musculoskeletal problem and then perform an operation on them or, or do something interventional that then helps them regain their mobility was hugely rewarding. But I, I think for me, it was all about that sort of, uh, you know, challenge and, and how could I really be more impactful perhaps than, than doing sort of a set number of operations a week that could help a certain number of people. But I think with technology and the scalability of it, your reach, I guess, as an individual or as a company is, is much broader. So no regrets uh, from me, but um, certainly some aspects that I, I definitely miss. So to help our listeners understand that may not be in exactly your world, talk us through what Verti does. I think 
just taking a step back, one of the things that I sort of set out to do, and one of the reasons I was quite passionate about starting the company was certainly when I was training in the healthcare system, the workforce, and, and we've seen this sort of through COVID, is, is just incredibly dedicated and people will go above and beyond to better themselves and learn as quickly as possible to help patients. And I think certainly when I was training and, and looking at some of the sort of people coming through now, the, the way that we've sort of all grown up is with technology and with on-demand access to data. And, and often a lot of the traditional ways of training in healthcare, especially, but, but in other sectors too, are, are quite antiquated. So things like just, you know, learning on the job is still, you know, very much acceptable. Doing things like going to a very expensive simulation center or just falling back on sort of reading a textbook or watching a video on YouTube in some cases for practical procedures. And so really what I wanted to do was create something that was very data driven, which was able to collect unique data on how people train and perform especially in some things that, that I felt were very, very important, but are often not taught in, in a data-driven way. So things like communication skills, which are just incredibly important in any industry, especially healthcare or leadership or decision-making, often those are taught by you know, using an actor or learning from watching people speak to patients. And, and so it's very difficult to collect data on that and then, and then sort of improve. And so with Verti, what, what we basically built was uh, analytics uh, cloud-based platform that allows people to upload what we term sort of experiential content. So that's things like videos, 2D videos, or virtual reality uh, video or virtual reality kind of experiences that really immerse people in some of these real world environments, but that can be accessed on demand from their mobile device, from a desktop computer, or from a virtual or augmented reality headset. And I suppose the VR bit is quite important because for those of, of your listeners who might, might not have utilized virtual reality, when you put on um, a headset, it completely blocks out all of your normal perception. So you're very much immersed in this either sort of video-based content or computer-generated content, such that then you sort of interact in a way that you might do with a real patient in, in a real world. But the, the benefit of having the technology is we can then capture a lot of data about how people talk. So we can analyze that with, with artificial intelligence. We can look at how quickly they make decisions like diagnosing a patient in these uh, you know, safe and repeatable environments. And then we can compare them to their peers. And our kind of you know, mission is making experiential education affordable and accessible for everyone on the planet through technology. So we've had some uh, you know, big fun building that. Uh, we've had some, some really interesting results on the back of it with, with how it sort of improves learner memory retention of certain topics. And I think also importantly, reducing stress and anxiety by exposing uh, learners to some of these difficult to access, but, but potentially you know, hazardous or stressful environments so when I think of virtual reality I'm thinking I mean we've got like a headset but it sound and when I think of videos like I'm just I'm on my computer talk to me and share with us what does the virtual reality look like and I've also been involved in simulation labs and when we did orthopedics and we had Medtronic's down and we've had cadaveric labs how do you do this all virtually? Is it headsets? Is it people just sitting down? How do you make it interactive? Yeah, definitely. So we've sort of got, I suppose, two components to our product. One is an element that uses what's called 360 video, and that's something that's filmed off um, a 360 degree camera. So for, for things like the cadaveric wet labs that you mentioned, or any sort of in-person training done at the simulation centers, they're very good, but 
you still have to come in to a physical sort of environment in order to, to experience those and then receive feedback from the trainers. So one of the big problems that the sim centers have, or, you know, we do a lot of work with med device and pharma companies as well, who, who often fly in healthcare professionals to train in their wet labs sort of internationally around new, new products or new techniques. The, the difficulty there is there's a huge cost attributed to the time that a learner spends in a simulation center. And it's also quite episodic. So for example, if, if you and I were to go and do a training course this afternoon, we would go in and then, you know, we, we'd leave after having done that for a couple of hours. And unless we're sort of repeating that in our daily clinical practice, we may well forget it quite quickly. So what we tend to do is on, on the sort of video based side is we can record using a 360 camera that captures everything that's going on in a particular environment. So we could take any in-person teaching or training, digitize that through video, upload it to the platform. And then our platform's got some capabilities that allows those video scenes to be made interactive. So you can have a sort of choose your own adventure style decision path where you've got to decide on the next course of action for a patient, or you're sort of challenged under pressure with a, a sort of countdown timer to make a decision in such that we can kind of quantify people's decisions. You can then do that kind of individually in single player mode or in multiplayer mode. And in the multiplayer mode, you can analyze people's teamwork and their communication, again, through the headsets or through mobile devices. So that's our sort of, I guess, video-based side of things. And then the, uh, the follow-on from that is using some computer-generated avatars. So if you can imagine a sort of, I guess, computer game character of a patient almost, which you can access on desktop, mobile, or again, in VR or AR. And the clever bit behind that isn't necessarily the computer generated aspect or the even the virtual aspect, to, to be honest with you. It's more around the, the artificial intelligence and the um, ability to be able to talk to that patient. And then our system can recognize what the, the learner is saying. So it might be they're asking a medical history. Um, it might be they are uh, having a difficult conversation with a relative. The system understands that and then it can respond back. Uh, a little bit like an Amazon Alexa, and then we can analyze people's responses. And again, that's one of the big things that we were sort of focused on, which is how do you quantify really important non-technical skills like communication skills such that you can improve that for the entire workforce. So at the moment, there's no real you know, deep standardization of, of how people should communicate to, to relatives or, or to patients. And I'm sure you know, you know from kind of, hospital complaints, I think around about 70% can in some way be attributed to to poor communication from medical staff to patients or their relatives. So, you know, that again is one of our big sort of passions and drivers. How can we make that more data-driven and how can we show people how to improve and, and really what good looks like? Cool. You mentioned hazardous environments. Can you share what sort of environments you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. So our, our, our platform's um, super scalable. So I mean, although we're, we're talking about healthcare, we we do have a number of customers kind of outside of healthcare in in corporate training and and other sort of sectors as well. But in healthcare, the bits that we sort of focus on tend to be basically anything that you might need to learn as you progress through your your healthcare kind of specialty. So in something like surgery, we have a mix of real world operations with a focus on the non-technical aspects. So that's things like how to communicate with your scrub team in an actual operation, how to consent the patient, how to handle pressure if things go wrong. So in, in that aspect, we are basically recording 
either a, a sort of a mocked up cadaveric operation or in some cases a real world operation. And then we also look at things like really sort of high pressure emergency situations. So people coming through the emergency department, how you deal with, with trauma calls, how you deal with hospital life support through the system. So that, that's kind of, I suppose, sort of more technical, uh, sort of high pressure environments. And then we also have a, a number of different simulations that focus on things like Again, soft skills communication. So, for example, we have things like bullying and harassment training. We have things like uh, diversity training. Um, and, and one of the interesting things we can do with, with the technology, uh, specifically for those types of, of educational modalities, is you can actually embody the learner into the position of someone who is being bullied or harassed in the workplace and also as a bystander. So we can teach people what is the most appropriate way to intervene if you see someone being discriminated against or if you see someone being bullied in the workplace. So it's almost kind of falling into the kind of HR and compliance vein there as well. So super, super broad. And I think for me personally, one of the the fun things actually is is working with lots of different healthcare providers and, and really, really smart people in different specialties who all have lots of different ideas about how the platform could be used and, and are able to sort of onboard and, and create their own content. So we've even had some physicians using it for patient education, reducing anxiety before operations, or familiarizing patients with, with what it might be like to go for a, an MRI scan, which can be quite loud and scary, and, and sort of reducing their stress around those investigations. So how do, how do organizations know to come to you? Because you're a relatively young organisation, and you've got so many awards, and it's it's fantastic what you do. How do people? How does a hospital think, or what leads a client to you? Yes, it, it's a great question. So I think one of the the things we've done with the technology is we, we've basically carved out what is effectively a new market in, I suppose, the the, tra- the workforce training sector. And whenever you're sort of bringing a new product to market, particularly a, a very new technical product that's that's really sort of, I suppose, m- you know, changing up traditional methods of, of teaching and training. A lot of what we tend to do is sort of educating people on the benefits of firstly, how to implement some of our software, then how it can basically benefit them in the return on investment, and then how they can actually integrate that to their existing kind of teaching workflow. So a lot of what we do is sort of direct outreach to customers, educating them around the use cases of the platform and showing them the benefits and taking them really on a sort of journey to show them why it, it, it is you know, so critical for, for organizations to be adopting this type of technology now, really to improve the future of the workforce in, in the next year, next five years, next 10 years. So we, we do quite a lot of that. I, th- I think the, the other thing to say is that, especially on the back of things like COVID, the, the, there's a huge amount of, uh, you know, sort of focus being shone on workforce development so while everyone has has been sort of trapped at home e-learning has has sort of gone through the roof across every different sector for the workforce and with certainly at the moment still in-person training being very limited in what you can do our sort of I guess assumptions and and mission have become kind of even more important for for lots of organizations so we 
again, as you say, you know, we've been relatively fortunate that because we're, we're absolute geeks, we, we, we basically spent, spent quite a lot of time making sure um, that the platform worked and, and did what it said it would do. So we, we published a, a randomized control trial earlier this year, and we, we continue to do kind of research around the benefits of the platform for different kind of sectors and different specialties and different use cases. And on the back of that, we, we sort of got lots of sort of return on investment cases. And I think because of, you know, partly because of that, partly because we've gone probably overboard for what is needed by a learning company that, you know, people kind of get it and, and they understand the benefits of it. So I, th- I think now we're sort of seeing a mix of obviously us doing outbound sales, lots of sort of inbound interest on the back of of some of the the sort of publicity and things we've had. And I think it's becoming more intrinsic across every sector that that you're going to need some way to scale your traditional in-person teaching and training methods because they're, they're not scalable, they're not data-driven, and, and they're very expensive. And at the moment, that they're, they're not possible in some circumstances. So you're an angel investor yourself. Have you taken investment to grow Verti? It's quite interesting. So with my last company, I kind of bootstrapped that and, and grew it completely myself without any sort of external investment, which is a really cool, fun process. And I think, you know, if people are are listening to this and are starting off with an idea, I I definitely would advocate trying to do things without external financing, certainly as, you you know, your first project. With Verti, because it was so technical, what we were trying to build, and we were really trying to create this completely new thing and get it validated and sell into healthcare, which is a, a sector that has you know, traditionally quite long procurement and sales cycles, the plan was always to basically take some outside investments. So with Verti, what, what I did there was when I uh, set the company up towards the back end of 2017, we were lucky to get some kind of angel investment or pre-seed investment from some investors in Northern California in a place called San Mateo, which is one of the sort of second towns, I guess, in Silicon Valley. And myself and, and some of our tech team went out there and kind of built the platform for six months, which is a super fun experience. Amazing to be kind of in basically the backyard of all the, the tech around San Francisco and Northern California and, and Apple and places like that. And then we, we sort of came back to the UK after that and started selling and, and really validating the product and then ended up doing off sort of formal seed round, uh, which was in April of last year. So that was really to take the, the product to the next level, really commercialize it at scale into the United States. And, and we sort of used that to hire more people, um, especially on the kind of sales and operations side, and do a couple of studies around validating the platform, again, all thinking around the kind of go-to-market strategy. And then, I mean, one of the reasons I was looking forward to, to doing this podcast with you is because my time at the moment is, again, uh, being spent speaking to investors. So this is actually a, a, a really lovely way to uh, relax and, and not have to speak to a million investors. So we're just in the process of raising our sort of Series A round on the back of some of the growth that we've had during the kind of COVID uh, pandemic, when, when again, we've been able to sort of help a lot of healthcare systems and other sectors actually with their sort of remote training on on the back of what's happened with lockdown and things so it's really interesting i always ask um, i'm fascinated by this and lots of our listeners i mean it's called the business of healthcare because everyone's interested in the business behind the scenes investment comes up a lot would would you be able to talk us through what getting a series a investment looks like what is the process of securing that and what how do you pull your pitches together 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think, um, I, I think I just kind of prelude this by, by going back to what I said just a minute ago, which is, I guess, for anyone listening, r- regardless, you know, getting investment is not the reason to kind of start a company. And, you know, if, if you need to get investment, the same reason to start a company, which is, is to sort of, you know, drive your mission and to, to build a sustainable business that, that's generating revenue is ironically the best way to get investment. If, if your goals, I suppose, are, are t- to basically you know, hit your mission and build a really, really great business, the investment should, should come relatively naturally. Now, however, I, I would just add on to that, you do have to have a process for, for getting investment because it's not, it's not easy. So just, just to kind of you know, quickly summarize, and, and it, it, you know, certainly for me, it's been a really fantastic learning experience over the last kind of three years. Because again, I'd not really raised any capital with my previous businesses. And so getting things like, I suppose, um, you know, angel investment where you just literally have a, an idea, you know, written literally on the back of a napkin in some cases, um, is, is often one of the most challenging things. And I think um, when you're having to convince people of um, your idea and your mission, you really have got to be just completely convinced yourself it's going to work. And, and I think even before you get to the stage of speaking to people for um, investment, you want to be going and speaking to potential customers. You want to make sure you've got your uh, business plan, your, um, you know, your, your kind of financial model and things like that proven to yourself so that, you know, if someone puts in money to your business, that you can do what you're saying, what, you know, what you're saying you're going to do with it. Um, the, other thing I'd, I'd probably just again as a bit of a prelude to anyone listening who who is you know might be considering raising investment for their tech company or idea again it's it's a great thing to do but I would say as soon as you have people sort of investing in your company you're you're going to be in some way responsible to them so even if you take a small amount of angel investment someone has put money into your company and, and they're going to you know want you to succeed and and you're going to feel kind of responsible for them. So I think getting the correct angel investors who are going to add value at an early stage is is super, super important. I would argue it's almost as important as building out your early stage team. So just as if you're building a technical product like like we did, when I was sort of thinking about my role in the company, I was sort of the CEO. I had my domain expertise in healthcare. I had some business knowledge from my previous companies and I had a really good idea and, and passion for the mission but I couldn't build, you know, a sort of very deep AI powered product myself. So I was very lucky at, at sort of connecting and finding our tech team who I, who I knew from my sort of previous ventures and things. And, and it's the same with kind of angel investors and early stage investors as well. You want people who understand your mission, understand there's risk involved and who are going to help you on your journey, either with sort of advice or with connections to, to early customers, or who are just going to have your back if, if things aren't going right and you need to pivot. So I think angel investment is absolutely critical and, and often just, you know, having access to angel investors is challenging. So I'd, I'd recommend people do as much pitching as possible. They network as much as possible and they speak to people who've, who've already been through the process and, and might be able to make warm introductions to really good kind of qualified angel investors. And then seed stage investment, probably, probably quite similar for the most part, make, you know, the majority of companies aren't going to be generating revenue at sort of seed. We, we were, which certainly helped things because we had product market fit. But again, you're going to be doing a lot of convincing, having a lot of conversations with people. And, and I think when you get sort of seed in series A, having 
a really good understanding of you know still what you're going to do with the money and and why you want to raise it and the amount you want to raise it uh, raise it at those rounds is, is important and also having a formal process so I think one of the things that you know some publications like you know TechCrunch or anything that appears in the press where there are you know big numbers that celebrate people raising capital they sometimes skew people's you know perception when you're raising so I, I would always try and raise you know not a crazy amount at a crazy valuation for your company because you want to be able to I suppose under promise and over deliver for for whatever you're doing, and you don't want to give away too much of your company if you're if you're getting investments. So I, I wouldn't be sort of you know blinded by people offering you huge checks. You you want to kind of bring people on who are going to add value to the company. And, and process wise, I mean, this is something I've I've d- done now over a couple of rounds. You've got to be very kind of data driven in how you do it. So a little bit like a sales pipeline, you probably want to do your research first. So firstly, make sure that the people you're speaking to are going to add value to your company and they understand the sector and they've uh, you know, either made investments in similar companies uh, to yours or certainly in the same space and then put together a big list and then think about who you, can, who you might already have in your network or who you might need to get warm intros to. And warm intros often are best done through you know, existing founders who might have um, received investment from those companies or from people like legal partners or some of the banks and things like that. Uh, and again, a lot of networking is involved there. So I guess I, I always sort of set out to speak to and have coffee conversations with around about 50 to 70 people, as in different firms for different investment rounds. And, and those coffee meetings are a way for me to sort of get to know them as, as well as for them to get to know the business. I think for the early stage rounds like seed, it, it is more challenging because you're coming in cold and you, you haven't necessarily cultivated a, a sort of a friendship or a relationship with any sort of investment investors. My top tip for later stage rounds like series A or B is keep people updated that you've met from previous investment rounds such that they know what's happening with the company. And when you come to ask them for money, they already know you. And, and so, you know, you keep them updated at, at every stage. But yeah, I mean, I, I think roughly speaking, that, that would be my advice. I think put in the work early, be really, really focused on your mission, have a data-driven process, and, and then just keep going. And, and even if you get knocked back, if people say this is outside of our investment you know, criteria, note down all of their objections, note down their feedback, think about how you can you know, improve upon your messaging for the, for the next time and just keep going. Oh, thank you so much. You have just saved so many people, probably like a time, heartache and money. I hope people <laughs> <laughs> download just, this podcast. I don't know if you can make, you know, like some episodes your favourites, but I think what you have just described will be so helpful to so many people. I think it's, um, unless you're in the, that world, it's all a bit of a mystery, like investors and Series A and all these terms. Like it's not, unless you're in it, you don't really understand I, I completely agree. And to be perfectly honest with you, I probably didn't understand some of the, you know, the functions of, of investing until probably around about, you know, even maybe potentially even just after our seed round. So, uh, you know, you're always continuously learning. And I think it's really challenging. It's quite a, it's not the most obvious of sort of spaces. And, and it's very, the amount of information that is out there around who invests in what, and a lot of the sort of technical financial terms you do have to kind of learn as a founder, say things like term sheets and things like 
preferential rights and all this kind of things you you have you know you you will kind of learn those as you go along ideally before you sort of sign anything <laughs> so <laughs> you might other piece of advice is, is make sure you have a good lawyer <laughs> who if you are uh, you know if, if you don't know absolutely everything about investing they've got your back and you know you're not not giving away too much of your company or signing up to anything you you might regret later but yeah i mean i, I think it, it is it is confusing certainly when you first start out and, and if you do make any errors, even at kind of an angel investing level, either by you know bringing people on who might not be that helpful or giving away too much of the company, it can be a critical mistake that then you'll kick yourself about in the future. So, yeah, I, I think, again, r- really, you know, again, listen, listen to what I've said, do some research around it that, you know, if, if you want to learn more about it, some really good process documents from people like Y Combinator where you can kind of Google and look at that, that that's very helpful. There's a couple of founders who sort of, put out blog posts around their processes and, and their pitch decks and things. And I think I'm, I'm probably going to do something similar to write something up for healthcare in, in my kind of Forbes or entrepreneur column or something at some point yeah. when I, when I get, when I get, to- <laughs> get some time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. And just, um, I suppose one of my observations, I've look, been looking at your website in research for this interview and it's so clear it's so clear what you do and what you guys are about. We're doing a rebrand next year. So we'll be definitely taking some tips and pointers. So I think there is some of the messaging around what you do. And yeah, it's just sometimes when people describe their businesses, you know, sometimes you're so close to it, you can kind of waffle along and it's not just, it's clear in your mind but it may be not how you articulate it. But when we look, when I look on the Verti website, I have no doubt in what you guys do so I just wanted just wanted to share that and I think it's when people are developing their business whatever the sector it's help you know look at websites it doesn't have to be and probably not your competitors look far and wide and see how people present their stuff and the words they use and the layout I think it's really really helpful well, no, well th- thank you so much. And I, I think it's a really great point. And I'd actually sort of, again, I just add on to that, you know, we, and particularly myself was not particularly good <laughs> at, at kind of conveying, you know, what we did when we started out. I think you, you're absolutely spot on. I think certainly for technical products or, or anyone who's starting a business, because you're so heads down in it. And certainly for, for what we were doing at Verti, I was wearing a million different hats when, when we were sort of starting out and I was helping sort of build out the product and, and thinking about all the technical aspects. And I'm, you know, kind of a tech geek myself. So it's in my brain sort of naturally falls into uh, that kind of language and things. And so when you're trying to explain things, you're like, yeah, we, we use like AI and we use this, this and this, and people are just sort of looking at you blankly. And so I, th- I think one of the things that we worked on a lot was trying to both, I suppose, educate and explain to people what we do and, and the problem we're solving over talking about the underlying technology really so i think that and, and, and that's actually a really good tip for anyone listening for both for, for you know communicating your your vision and and your kind of product goals to investors but also to your customers and and being able to just really really quickly and easily sort of explain things to people is absolutely critical even to be perfectly honest in you know in your own teams so if you're you know if you're explaining something or delegating something to someone and you waffle on and you can't explain it concisely you're going to really struggle and and, that, and those you know team members aren't perhaps going to fully understand what you mean 
so yeah, I, I completely second everything you've just said. I think getting that messaging as as simple and and accessible as possible is is critical. And I, I just just to give you you one like really practical example of something that I did. My parents aren't aren't medical. My grandmother's certainly not medical, and she she actually passed away two years ago. But she was uh, ninety five, and when we were starting Verti, my kind of mission was to get her to understand what we did. So yeah, my, my, my kind of advice to people is if your 95 year old grandmother can't understand easily what you're doing, you need to improve your messaging. Definitely. And it also helps with just when you're trying to attract your client. So what some organizations do, and these are different tactics and it's, it's hard to say what is better than another, but because it is so clear, you will attract and kind of repel clients quite quickly so it's not in you know like there's no amount of there's not lots of intrigue you know like sometimes it's like if you want to know more click here and you know like they you, you're kind of they they leave you dangling because you're like oh what you know like what is it yeah. what is it what is it and that's how they reel you in and that's a, that's one good technique the other technique is to just say this is what we do yeah and just make it really really clear and these are the benefits and these are the case studies and these are our awards yeah, it just yeah, makes I, life easier. It just makes life easier. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that I think there's elements where you, you know you can probably incorporate, you know, both of those. So yeah. You don't need to kind of give away all your, you know, secret sauce and stuff on your website or anything like that. But I, I think, yeah, again, like one of the key tips is sort of messaging is is really understanding who your, you know, your customer is or your end user is and and what their sort of ideal customer profile or sort of ICP is, because you might think, I guess, as a uh, you know business owner, that this is what we do and this is why it works. But your customers might actually be after some different information or, or what sort of you know driving them to make a purchase or use your your software or use your services is very different to, to what you think it is. So, I would always get feedback from the users and the customers because, again, if you are showing things like you know the impact of you know your technology or, or as you say, using case studies and things like that that often is, is much easier for people to kind of uh, get hold of and, and understand and also sort of explain to other people in their organization how your software or services or, or whatever it is you're selling can be utilized. And so, yeah, I, I think always, always testing your messaging is absolutely critical. Who is your ideal customer? Yeah, so at, at the moment, our kind of our near target market is obviously the healthcare sector. And, and we sell into kind of large academic health centers kind of globally really and we normally sell in as a sort of business to business sale and that often involves kind of a quorum I guess of decision makers so anyone from sort of the chief of surgery to the CFO to the CIO of a big hospital system and and then we also work with medical device and pharma companies and, and they tend to be again people involved in health professional training or sales rep training and 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 those are kind of the initial people that we speak to. But again, often with these big organisations, that there's multiple people involved in those kind of purchase and procurement uh, processes. And I, I guess outside of healthcare as well, probably quite similar. Anyone sort of involved in in HR or training, big kind of organisations, tend to be the sort of champions of our system who understand it. And, and then we kind of go in and and win over anyone else in the organisation who's part of that decision making process. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's, it's been really, really interesting. If people want to find out more about Verti, where can they go? 
Yeah, thank you. No, it's been been fantastic, and um, yeah, your your podcast is uh, is absolutely brilliant. And, oh, and keep, keep, keep it up, keep doing it, because the more people that understand the business of healthcare, the better, I think, for the, for everyone, patients <laughs> uh, and and staff included. So yeah, so for us, um, you can find us at verti v i r t i dot com. We are Verti Labs at uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. I do a podcast called the Human Performance Podcast, which again is a bit of fun for me to speak to some really cool people from lots of different sectors, actually, all with a, a focus on Im- improving kind of workforce well-being or training or personal development. And yeah, if you want to get hold of me, feel free to kind of reach out via LinkedIn or via our website. Cool. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.